1: Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. I have with me Andy Green from Rolling Stone. Hi there, Brian. How you doing? I'm doing pretty well. Good. So today's going to be sort of a special flashback episode of Rolling Stone Music Now. Bob Dylan, as you may have heard, has a new album out. It's called Triplicate. It's another sort of standards album uh, where he sings, actually, in my opinion, quite well, um, some of the great American songbook standards. And some people might call this a a weird direction that he's been in. I wouldn't call it that, but I understand why people would call that. So we thought we'd look back at another sort of divergent moment from Bob Dylan. Uh, Really interesting album, 1985 Empire Burlesque. And to talk about this album, we have Arthur Baker, who worked extensively on it, the legendary Arthur Baker of Planet Rock and many other things. Uh, Arthur, are you there?
2: yeah man right here
1: welcome how you doing
2: thanks Thanks for having me on
1: absolutely
2: any any time I can talk about uh doing, you know
1: <laughs> yeah I you know it, it's <laughs> you've done a lot of stuff in it, but this is a this is a a, a certainly an interesting moment uh, in your career so to give the audience some backstory before you came in. Dylan had been recording and recording going back to 84 uh, with various lineups. There were a lot of heartbreakers involved. (laughs) There were a lot of members of the heartbreakers. Yeah,
2: absolutely. A lot of heartbreakers. Um, He had just sort of, I I guess he had worked with Knopfler before. I I, I actually have a great Knopfler story because he he actually showed up at the studio one night and it was uh, pretty funny, but um, yeah, so he had a bunch of songs and, and I got a, I got a call from my friend Joe McEwen who you guys may know. He was working at Columbia at the time mm. and he said oh, I had done some Bruce Springsteen remixes and uh, he had said oh, you want to meet Dylan? And I was like you know literally very nervous because i had been a big dylan fan and high school i had written my graduate paper on dylan i mean it was just like of my age everyone was a sort of fan of dylan i guess growing up but you know i went over to the hotel and the first thing was he he literally hadn't had room service there well he had room service he ate a lot in his room but no, they never picked up any of the dishes so no ma-
1: no maid service. service i guess yeah
2: <laughs> no maid service but there were probably four or five trays of food and you know lots of uh leftovers and stuff and uh he had a pile of cassettes and he just started playing me songs and you know literally probably fired about 15 or 20 and he, he was like, well, what would you do? What would you do? <laughs> I said, well, I'd probably listen to him a few more times before I, you know. And, and you know, we, we, we hung out and uh, and I got the gig. So uh, it went from there. But, I mean, he had tons of songs and just really amazing. You know, they were great songs. And, and there were some uh, that needed work and some that didn't. But, um, you know, it was sort of a um, sort of patch up. Big, there were a lot of most of the things were actually recorded. We, we we went in and we cut a few from scratch, but basically it was a for the most part a remix thing. We cut a few a few songs from scratch, but but for the most part it was like wow, trying to finish up a bunch of stuff.
1: Was it your impression that it was his idea to talk to you, or that his label was like, "Let's get the cool guy," "Let's get Arthur Baker and make Dylan modern"? He kind of went along with it. Uh, it
2: definitely, it, it definitely wasn't his idea. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, there's no way it was his idea. So literally, because it was Joe, and um, and uh, yeah, I mean, Joe was very well thought of over there. He had been a he had been a journalist, which they didn't hold that against so, you know, him, <laughs> but he. <laughs> But he was, you know. So basically, and I had done the Springsteen stuff. So maybe, they I'm sure they sold him on that. If they were going to sell him on anything, there was nothing else I would have had done that would have he would have related to at all. So, right. I don't know. I guess when we met, you know, he was able. You know, we were able to get a little vibe going, and, and uh, you know, and it worked out. I mean, uh, I, as I said, I was. It wasn't like I cause you would assume cause I was making like hip hop well, rap records and stuff that I didn't know his work, but I was fully aware of everything he had done. So I, I was a fan. So basically, you know, I didn't really want to go, you know, I didn't want to make an electro track. I mean, you know, it was <laughs> sort of, I wanted to just finish stuff up and maybe polish it a bit. And, and, and that was it. You know, some of the things work and some of the things going back didn't work, but, uh, you know they were there were great songs on that album i think um the fact that three of the songs were covered and uh, and did well like but with other artists within a year or two of the album i mean emotionally yours the oj's redid and it was like a top 5 r&b record and when yeah. the knife comes falling from the sky jeff healy recovered and then i i covered um with grace and you for the uh, prime green tomatoes um soundtrack, I'll remember you, which Bob loved the new version. He he called me up and said, I love what you did. Cause I put sort of a new chorus at the end, like a, a sort of a, a new refrain on the end. And he loved that. So, I mean, there were great, there's great songs on the album. I think it, it, sure. it really had a, a lot, a lot of really good songs.
1: So what was the first step once you got the gig? Like uh, how did it go from there?
2: Well, we went in we were working at power station and, and, the first stuff we did actually was was working on a new track, which was when the night comes falling from the sky. Yeah, and he had the East Street band. He had like uh,
1: Van Zant, and
2: uh, he had Steve in there, and he had uh, Max, and he had the piano. Roy Benton, yeah, yeah. So basically, I'm the, that's the first night I was in, and he and he cut it, and then he was like concerned that it sounded too much like Springsteen. Well, I said, well. <laughs> Using his band, wasn't that the idea? And he and so he sort of Canned that version, and then we went back in with Sly and Robbie. Well,
1: let's uh, let's which, play. Sorry, let's let's play the uh, the East Street Band version for a minute and hear that. Or the you right. know it's really the partial East Street Band, but we'll hear that. You can look And now we've heard yeah. that, let's hear, let's hear the, uh, the Sly and, and Robbie version.
2: Yeah, okay. That, that
1: Arthur cool. did.
0: Look out across the See me,
1: me so obviously, it, cha- it changed a great deal. In fact, the release version, um, one of the things that strikes me is it seemed to me that he was partially recreating a version of one of his songs that he's always been fascinated with, which is all oh, along the watchtower, the Hendrix version. It has a very similar intro. Yeah. Was that referenced in the process?
2: Exactly. Uh, not, no, I mean, yeah, I felt that, but it wasn't like we went back and listened to any of his old tracks. <laughs> he he didn't, you know, that, I mean, literally he, he just goes for it in the studio. It's it just, uh, you know, maybe, yeah, I'd probably reference that in, 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 in finishing it. Obviously, you know that was in my mind, but um, yeah. You know, we. I mean, it was a pretty open uh, situation because he, he, be, Bob doesn't like to spend a lot of time in the studio. You know, so it's sort of he would he would come in at seven and leave at nine, and then and then I'd be there, and we'd be like, okay, now what do we do? You so you're know? talking about so it seven, we,
1: it's a seven p.m. to nine p.m. workday. Is yeah, what you are saying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah. That's part awesome. Of that time, <laughs> part of that time he'd order he'd he get he'd always have food he'd get the food from sylvia's you know from the soul food place
1: because
2: huh. that's when he he um he was going out with the with the background singer one of the background singers we ended up marrying um, yeah so, so you know it was sort of that vibe we were had a big feed and then everyone was really tired so you know basically it was uh <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was it was interesting, and, and uh, yeah, you know, people would pop in. I mean, there's you know, there were a lot. A lot of people would pop in on those sessions. And, um, you know, I mean, there were a lot. I mean, Bob would... The thing is, Bob wasn't really big on the technology side of it. So, literally, he would want to go in and sing with the background singers on the same mic for the vibe. Right. But then, then when we get a take and he'd want to change something, it would be like, well, you know, the background singers are on the same track. So when you do your punch-in, we're going to have to punch in the background singers also. So, <laughs>
1: Which be, is nearly you know, impossible. That's almost impossible, right? Because they have to be in the exact well, same position. Yeah,
2: no. we, we, we worked it out somehow. We did. But, <laughs> but, but you know, Bob, the other thing was Bob loved to rewrite lyrics. Because Bob was mostly concerned about his lyrics more than anything else. So that, you know, he would do rewrites and, and all that. Because, you know, he is Bob Dylan. People are going to be looking <laughs> at those lyrics forever. So it, 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 it was a... Uh, it was a great you know it was a great process i mean there 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 were definitely a lot of moments that a lot of moments i'll never forget and uh and you know it was a great experience and uh you know i mean the the idea that he's now doing a lot of these cover you know cover albums of of the uh of classic american songs it's funny because when we were we were remixing the the, we we mixed the album at, at uh at right track and um one day, we, you know, the music's pretty loud and, and he's sort of sitting in front of the board and on a couch and I'm hearing something. I'm like, what the fuck? Where's that? And, and we turn down, we turn the level and it's him playing like a virgin. You know? <laughs> he's like, and he's like, you know, I'm, Bob, uh, what's up, man? Uh, he's like, ah, man, can't we, do a, can't we do a record like... Madonna, Prince. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know but uh, hey, he he could do a cover version album of, you know, 80s classics. He probably, uh, maybe that will be the next <laughs> thing. That he could does. be next. I don't know. Uh, but it, you never know, know with Bob.
1: To return to When the Night, I, one of the things that's striking, especially since that's, you know, a song that you did you know, actually with him, the drum sound on that, yeah. was he was, was he playing an artificial kit, uh, an electronic kit, or what was going, like, how did, how did that yeah, sound? Yeah,
2: that, that was, a, that was um, Sly Dunbar. He was actually using syndromes.
1: And whose idea was that?
2: That's what he played, and that's, <laughs> and, and, you know, no, Sly and Robbie had played with Bob before. They yeah, on, on Infidels, yeah. Earlier on. Yeah, so they, you know, it wasn't li- literally... It was one of those things he had sly had his drum set up at power station and he's using syndromes and i'm like wow that's sort of weird because <laughs> you know this is such a great drum sound here but that's what bob you know bob liked it and you know that's what sly had. it was one of those things you know i came in and they were already there and i had actually met i had met them earlier i already knew the guys and sly was really into technology so but the the very funny thing is he used to have he had these Tom set up, which he didn't really use, and he would just have the newspaper on those. so he'd be reading the newspaper while he'd be doing takes <laughs> literally <laughs> like someone else would be like someone else would be reading a music chart, but you know he was reading the newspaper like daily news or post or something. so it was pretty pretty bizarre. Huh. And, you know that was the Tom, but literally that was that wasn't anything that I brought to i didn't go oh yeah let's use syndromes it was more like that's what he had and that's what we use it was sort of that kind of thing where uh you know and and obviously you know, the other songs on the record didn't use those because they were cut with uh i think the guy from um, from uh, uh you said um
1: the heartbreakers and yeah
2: and it can up in the business yeah those guys playing on it, so uh, Tom Petty's band. It's funny, this so, is yeah, a, yeah. it was a lot, but, sorry, go ahead.
1: No, I mean, I, I think a lot of people naively listening to it, any kind of like, quote unquote 80s sounds, I think they would assume, oh, that must be Arthur, but I, I guess that, that really isn't the yeah. case for a lot of things, right?
2: Well, yeah, no, I was trying, you know, I mean, we did, the, you know, we did the Glockenspiel and stuff, you know, I was always into Glockenspiel, like a Phil Spector thing, you know, I mean, Listen, going back, you know, I would change a few things on it, but um, you know, I, I really wanted him to, uh, you know, at one point I was like, we should just go back and strip it all down, and you know, basically that the one the one thing that we, you know, a lot of the songs have a stripped down feel, but obviously Dark Eyes, which which uh, which was the last track we did on the record, you probably read his book, and basically. He made a big thing out of that track, which I never knew. While we were working on it, you know, we were about to finish the record. And I said to him, "You know, Bob, you've got all these songs. Why don't you, uh, why don't you pick one and we'll just cut it live? And we'll just, you know, it'll be like a live recording, and maybe we'll put a little reverb on it, whatever. But let, let's try to do something live for the last track. And and, and acoustic, right?
1: You you wanted like an old school yeah. ac- solo acoustic Dylan yeah. song, yeah, yeah."
2: yeah. yeah. So I just said, let's do it like you did with the harmonica and the acoustic guitar, and just cut it like that. And literally, uh, so he came back in and he did this song, "Dark Eyes," and, and I think of the, that's like the second take. And, and it was like, wow. man, that's an unbelievable song. And then I didn't know until when when his book came out because he did all, he he actually wrote the song that the, I said to him. Why don't we do a song that's acoustic and blah, blah, blah. And he wrote, he came in and wrote, wrote, he wrote the song that night and then recorded. So literally, and he said that's the only time in his career up until that point that he ever sort of wrote a song at the request of the producer like he usually would just use songs he had but he thought that what I was saying was correct so he thought okay I'll write a new song I mean that's the pretty song, cool
1: I mean you, you that's the ultimate production you you brought that song into life uh, from nowhere that's pretty yeah, cool exactly.
2: Well, yeah exactly yeah, I didn't know well, listen, which, which literally I didn't know for 20 years because I didn't know until he wrote the book and I'm reading the book like a fan and I, you know I mean he has so many things he could talk about in his, in his first book and I was like Totally, you know, floored when he mentioned that as being something really special. So I, I was sort of happy with that. Yeah.
0: yeah, and that's basically the last time in his whole career on an album that he sings solo acoustic on a non-cover on on his yeah. own song. It's a pretty remarkable yeah. moment. I, so, I, I, would,
2: yeah. I would, I would, I, I would guess, and yeah. I think he should do it more often. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. well
1: thank you for that, so, Arthur. I, so you're listening to Rolling Stone Music now. We're talking about the 1985 Bob Dylan album, Empire Burlesque, with his producer, Arthur Baker. And we'll be right back with a lot more.
0: Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games.
2: Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting
0: go to your happy place for a happy price go to your happy price price line
1: arthur there's a story you tell that bob was not super patient with the mixing of a, of a modern multi-track album so and then at mm-hmm. one point he sort of went off and did something what, what happened that night yeah
2: we were, we were we were we were at um right track and um Basically, he was telling me how Blonde on Blonde they mixed in, like, two days. (laughs) I was like, yeah, okay, well, uh, yeah, I was like, wow, great album, two days. You know, it was four-track, so I try to sort of explain to him, which I knew he understood, but, you know, he always loved to, like, mess with you. And I'm saying, you know, we're we're on, like, 48-track, and that was four-track, so you've got to give us like a lot more time because we have to go through the sounds, whatever. So he said, oh, he went, so he decided to go to the to the movies, you know? So he came back and he had seen um, the movie with Cher. Um,
1: Mask, right?
2: What's the name? Mask. Mask, yeah, he had seen Mask and he was really like, he went, yeah, man, <laughs> God, Cher was unbelievable, you know? Uh, <laughs> I didn't know they made movies like that anymore. You know, I didn't think they made, ever made movies like that. He, he was so blown away by that movie, and then he came in and started listening, and you know, whatever it is. But it was like i always remember him talking. You know, coming back so because obviously he knew Cher, and he just couldn't believe how good she was. And you know, I mean, you know, he's definitely uh, he's definitely a fan of pop culture. You know, when he when he uh, when he when he hooks into something, he really sort of. Is a fan of, it, a so, fan of it, so so, whatever, but do you think? Interesting...
0: Do you think that Dylan's goal was to get a big pop hit? Do you think that he wanted a like radio hit? He thought Tight Connection would possibly like mm-hmm. really work on pop radio. Do you think that was the goal here?
2: I, uh, you know what, it's hard to say because I mean, then he did these really totally bizarre videos of <laughs> dave stewart you know
0: yeah he danced
2: <laughs> those videos those videos were a lot weirder than the records for sure <laughs> just bizarre you know they were very miami vice videos. <laughs> so, i don't yeah i don't know I, I it's hard to say obviously he did have huge pop hits earlier in his career when he you know he had huge pop hits so uh i don't know if I, I, to get into his head it really You know, it wasn't anything we talked about, except when he did say, the only thing I could say is that thing of, oh, can't we make a record like Madonna Prince? Now, of course, I assumed he was joking. (laughs) I'd say 95% of the thing was a joke, but maybe in the back of his mind, he wanted a hit. I don't know. It's really really hard to say because, you know, basically, a lot of the songs on the record were very... Catchy and commercial, like I said, emotionally yours was a, an amazing song, and, and as was I'll remember you. I think those two stand up, and they're very soulful. And as I said, the OJ's, I think it was like the OJ's version. I think was a top five record in R&B. It was a big hit.
1: Yeah, let's hear uh, and, let's hear uh, Bob's probably- version. Sorry, sorry, let's hear Bob's version of emotionally yours. Um- And now let's hear uh, the OJ's version, which is great too. Arthur, there's a cool thing on, on, on uh, Bob's version of Emotional Yours. I think that's a track where there's uh, like almost a Bob O'Reilly type synth comes in. Like a little. Did you remember that yeah, bit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How did that end yeah, up yeah, in there?
2: Yeah, sure, yeah. I put it in there. (laughs) I, 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 you know, I tried things and and he, you know, I tried a lot of things and and pretty much he went with them. I'm sure there are a few things that he just passed on, but any, anything, any, anything like that, you know, um, I had a keyboard player, this guy, Richard share who worked on it. And, um, I had a few of my guys playing on it and, but I know Richard was doing that stuff and, uh, yeah, I mean, if it worked, you know, I didn't... I mean, literally, some things worked and some things didn't. Mm. Some things that worked are not on the record and some things <laughs> that didn't work are on the record. So
1: well, we were it, saying... It's sort of, you yeah. Know, yeah, it's just how it is. I mean We were saying, yeah. I mean, on the previous record on Infidels, Dylan had just made infidels and left off this song foot of pride, which is one of his best songs. Um, this, uh, this song, uh, blind Willie McTell," which some people think is his single best song. Yeah. Um, and then the original, <laughs> and then the original version of tight connection to my heart, which was called,
0: yeah, which is called somebody's, which is called somebody's got a hold of my heart.
2: Right. Yeah, 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 and, exactly. And I so, love Tight Connection. You know, Tight Connection's a great a great song and we, you know, we worked on that a lot on vocals and changing lyrics obviously. Yeah.
1: So, I don't think you you weren't aware at the time I think that he was taking a ton of lyrics for that song from from what Humphrey Bogart movies? Yes. Yeah,
2: when did you become aware no. of that? <laughs> I never did. Uh, just now.
1: <laughs> oh, like yeah, now now? yeah. It's. Did you ever work on that? The previous recording of it, the one that's on the bootleg series. Did you ever try to mess with that one?
2: God, you know, I, I have to say that I, I'd have to listen to it, but yeah, you know, I don't know. Okay, I know we we worked on a few, but um, yeah, I mean, tight. Con- I'm trying to remember if tight connection is, if. If the, we did the drums again Maybe Possibly I'd have to look at the record But We did Sky and Robbie played on a few other tracks And, I, and it, That might be one of them But I'm not I, You know Without looking at the record I, I'm Sorry I don't have the record So was me, he Was know, he Totally Was track. he
1: Was he scribbling away At lyrics like In the studio As you did vocals yeah. How did that work
2: Yeah of course Yeah Yeah scribbling away And He would just go in And, and try them And then if he He'd listen back And if he didn't like it He'd, he'd scribble some more you know on a few of the songs but tight connection and something somebody's burning something's burning baby yeah, yeah.
0: and on seeing the yeah, real you at last also
2: yeah seeing the real you at last those three were the ones where he really emotionally yours and and uh, i'll remember you were pretty I, I i as as i remember those were pretty much uh, not he didn't mess with Rewriting lyrics on those as I remember, but I mean, those other three for sure he did. We worked on those a lot.
1: So it becomes all the more a mystery because tight connection to my heart. Somewhere between the version that's on the bootleg series and the version that's on the album He filled it with lines from like Humphrey Bogart movies and even according to Clinton Halen There is one line in that song that is from a Star Trek episode so the mystery becomes more intense because How on earth if he was scribbling them in front of you in the lyrics in, in, in the studio How on earth was he pulling these lines from movies and TV shows? It's bizarre Unless you remember Star Trek playing yeah, in the studio, yeah. which could actually
0: solve this for us
2: <laughs> there was a TV in the studio. I can't say what was on it. But, uh, you know, like a Bogart film uh,
0: marathon. <laughs> if you yeah, if you remember, I no yeah,
2: idea, man. But you know, <laughs> he could have. You know, he could have. I mean, literally, some of the things. I'm not saying everything he he redid. He a lot of it. He did scribble for sure. He yeah. sat and wrote things, and then he sang them. So, you know, that doesn't mean that a lot of the other ones he didn't get from movies and TV. I don't know. I mean, you couldn't really tell with him. But literally, he was writing lyrics. Right. Some, some something's burning tight connection for sure but you know like it is 32 years ago guys yeah, right, yeah. Right? I totally
1: got it what was sort of the state of his sobriety or lack thereof was he like drinking that you could tell was
2: it well how- let me put let me put it this way one time i picked up a cup which i thought was my tea and it was his <laughs> and there was a lot of there was a lot of rum in that tea <laughs> so, <laughs> he, he was drinking he was drinking rum
0: but in-
2: you know not like not with the bottle, and I, I mean he. I, I did Mom, Mom rum. That's what that. That's what he was drinking. Yeah.
1: How much he later? Be,
2: yeah, Mom and and soul food, but he didn't eat him. He didn't eat a lot. Though. That's the other thing. He didn't really eat a lot. It was sort of. Hmm. He probably ate before he. He didn't want to be seen eating. I would guess. You know. <laughs> you know. <laughs> like probably yeah. You know, it's sort of that thing. You don't really want to uh, when you when you Bob Dylan. You probably don't want people to see that you. you you
1: don't want people to see you eating, maybe I don't know. Did you ever have any like? Yeah. Did you have any like sort of personal conversations with him, just like man to man, just talking about stuff besides the movie Mask?
2: Yeah, you know, I mean, we 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 did about music, and and later on, after actually after the record, I met up with him once in L.A. and he was he had just been. Um, he had been to Brazil and he was talking about the tuning guitar tunings and stuff. And he was like really into it. And, you know, it was, it, you know, we, he, 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 uh, he loved like Dion and the Belmonts. He used to talk about them a lot, you know, sort of like doo He was really into doo Um, hmm. you know, that kind of thing. We, you know, we would just, uh, you know, literally not a lot. Cause you know, we'd get in and we'd work and then he didn't, stay out late you know i mean <laughs> i have friends who played in his band like and they you know obviously they spent a lot of downtime and are and at least one of my friends um greg sutton who was a bass player in one of his bands mm. and uh so he has great he has great stories because he used to hang with them a lot on the road but you're, when you're making a record unless you're going out to dinner afterwards which he didn't really do dinner so <laughs> it really wasn't like a thing you know i mean uh you know, after the fact, you know, when, when he had the Biograph party, you know, we hung out there and had a couple of drinks. And, you know, it was, you know, we, we and I met a few years after we were still in touch. And then, you know, recently for uh, one one interesting uh, side note is Stu Kimball, who played, who was in this group face to face that right. I produced from Boston. And he, you know, he played on he played on When the Night Comes Falling. He played on a few tracks. And then, like fifteen years later, through a totally other, through Peter Wolf, he got like a to, to try out for Dylan's band, and he got the gig, and he's been in the band and for twenty years. He's still there, Dylan. Yeah, well, Dylan claimed not to realize he had been on the record. <laughs> you, you know,
0: Hi, and well, you, the
2: thing was, he wasn't. He wasn't the studio. You know, Bob was there when Stu played a, a few times. So I don't, who knows? it You know, it had been fifteen years, but I'm just saying it's interesting. That too yeah. has now been in that band for like. Uh, that is years.
0: weird. And you almost worked on Dylan's next record, right? Didn't he approach oh, yeah, you about that? that? <laughs> There's an insane story. Yeah, tell tell this insane story.
2: And, and that and, and, and the story is hundred percent true. Basically, I was I had my studio on on 37th Street in Manhattan, and I was driving back from like the New Music Seminar, which. Uh, you know, used to be sort of this convention that, that um, a few guys put on, a music convention, which was a really great music convention. Um, a lot of people, a lot of New York artists were discovered through it and stuff. But I was coming back, and there was a sign, you know, you couldn't take a right onto 37th and 7th Avenue unless you had commercial plates. Well, I didn't have commercial plates, but I had a studio there, and I had a bunch of boxes of records and stuff that I had to bring in. So I took the right... This uh, meter maid, you know, stopped me and got in front of the car and wanted me to back back out into Seventh Avenue, which I which I wasn't going to do. So basically, I just said, "Well, listen, I'll pull over. You call the cops, whatever." So I'm waiting there on the hood of my car, and I and I had actually I had some substances that I shouldn't have. <laughs> the police was going to show up, so I gave them to Stu. Actually, Stu was with me, and uh, so he took he took the substances and went to the studio, um, to my studio, which was three doors down and the cops get there and they like literally throw me against the wall and slap handcuffs on me. The, the, the meter maid had said that I had tried to run her over in the car. So, so luckily this guy in the crowd, seeing it go, all go down, he gave me a business card and his father was a federal judge in Brooklyn, like, like a high powered like uh, local uh, uh, state Supreme court or something. He said, listen, I saw it. I'm going to talk to my dad about it because literally this is, you know, total bullshit. So I end up in jail for like overnight and um, I get out and literally, you know, I get a lawyer and I say to my, uh, the, 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 the woman has now claimed that I hit her with my car. So basically that's like, that's a felony, you know, like, you know, well, I mean, you, you could go to jail for that. like uh, so basically, she's taken work off. She's gone on like you know disability. So I tell my lawyer, I said, I said, follow that young lady, let's find out what she's doing. And we actually got a PI. Uh, a, a PI and we found out that she was like smoking crack and stuff. <laughs> so literally, we got pictures and all that, we but, went to court. But but, Bob, course,
1: but but you missed a meeting with Bob, right? Because
2: of this? Oh yeah, okay, yeah, the yeah. best part of the story is, so basically, Stu, my guitarist, goes to the gig, with probably with those substances that I gave him, and literally, he goes back to see Bob, to tell Bob that I've been arrested, and Bob goes, uh, couldn't he come up with a better story than that if he didn't want to work on my record <laughs> so literally I didn't get the gig, and when I sued the city, I said I lost this gig, so basically the gig i I ended up getting like uh compensated for the gig and any and royalties and stuff so literally i got i got I got paid for doing it without doing it
0: so the city of 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 New York so, yeah. yeah. They paid you for a Bob Dylan album that you didn't get because of (laughs) them. Great moments in music business history. it's a real shame because his next album really sucked. And (laughs) if he had you on it, I think knocked out Loaded. Well, here's the
2: thing, though. Here's the thing. I wasn't really... I mean, he had sent me some things, and I really... I can't even say that I would have done it, you know? But I was going to go talk to him. You know what I mean? He had sent me some songs, Mm. and I wasn't really into the songs. So... (laughs) Literally, it probably saved me from saying no, and I still got paid. So that's, that's not a bad thing. Tell the Mark,
1: the Mark Knopfler story, because he had worked on some of the tracks over the various sessions. Oh, yeah, and so then, the yeah. Mark
2: Knopfler story is fantastic. Mark, Mark comes into the studio, and first of all, insults my... Oh, hold on one second. Um, in, insults my soon-to-be ex-wife, who is still my friend, who was a big... <laughs> A big fan of uh, of Dire Straits, so basically she comes in, she says to Mark Knopfler, "Oh, you know, I love uh, making movies. It's my favorite record." He said, "Oh, wow, I I feel bad for you. That's your favorite (laughs) record, like that." So literally, he's not—he wasn't on the top of my list anyway. But then he listens to one of the songs, and, and I'm sorry, I don't remember which one. Yeah, yeah. But he goes, "Oh, you know what? That song needs a guitar." I have a, I have a part in my mind, but I need I need chords. I need some pads in there. So he got he got his keyboard player from Dire Straits, who you know was was there, and basically, so he was he was trying to tune the synthesizer to the track because the track was you know these are tracks that had been worked on in five studios and you know basically it wasn't it wasn't like no one had a a pitch a tuning pitch you know it wasn't that wasn't happening so he's tuning it up literally two hours seriously Then he plays a part that you know a two finger just sustained two notes like through the song which, you know, we love, me and Bob look at each other. And we're, we're wasting time. You know, Bob doesn't like the studio that much. So we're wasting his time. And then Knopfler comes in and listens to it a couple of times through. And he goes, oh, You know what? It doesn't really need a guitar part. And then walks out. <laughs> and literally, Bob's like, Bob, no. And Bob's like, literally, that's what working with him was like. That Ouch. was why I would, you know, I wouldn't work for them again, you know. I forget the exact words, but it was that direction. So basically, we spent like four hours on literally nothing, <laughs> except I got a good story out of it. So that's probably cool.
1: I want to return to the sound of the record because that's obviously that's something that you in there's parts that you you know you've said many times that you might not do, and I mean the the general. I mean you know there are quote unquote 80s things there's there's the synth parts some, yeah. of, some of which are very cool some of which maybe don't sound <laughs> are now yeah, dated there's, <laughs> yeah. there, there, there's 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 <laughs> like the 80s like 80s the 80s itself like, okay. there, there's snare sounds that even when it's not the electro drums there's like the, that big sort of stadium big uh,
2: re- yeah, yeah big reverb sounds so yeah. so how much For of palads, that I mean if that's no that was that was me i'll have to take blame for that because literally no but i'm honest you know literally at that time big ballads you know had that kind of big snare sound and you know we were to go back to something you said earlier we were you know trying to make a record that would get played on radio and we were trying to have a have a bigger produced sound and it, it was the 80s so that's the sound that we were going for so it was sort of you know, which is, which is what made me really happy about Dark Eyes, because literally I would have just been as happy to do that, but they didn't hire me to do that. They hired me to right. make it sound, you know, like pop for the 80s. Literally, you know, the Phil Collins sound, all that, that sound was, was, was you know, the big snares and all that. That's what was happening on radio. then. If you go back, Foreigner, that kind of thing. You know, it was like that kind of stadium sound. But, you know... I mean, um, yeah, some of them weren't like that. It, it, I would say the ballads were the things that sort of we did that with, and maybe and When the Night Comes Falling. And, you yeah. Know, I mean, you wanted to have some sort of continuity to the record, in, in, which is difficult when it's recorded all over the world for many years. But, you know, literally, you know, the 80s were like that. And, and, <laughs> and similarly, I, 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 I had done a Hall & record in the same sort of – Uh, capacity which was sort of trying to make it sound 80s and I did Big Bam Boom and you know I try to convince Daryl and John for the last song to just sit at the piano and do a song just the two of them Mm. at the piano and they and 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 they didn't do it literally they didn't do it and Bob did and look we got dark eyes and we probably could have a great Holland Oaks song that people would still be talking about if they had done it because literally that's you get the magic out of that and it doesn't get overly produced and you just go, let's, let's do it like old school, you know, which is still, I still love that kind of thing. I, I, I recently did an album with Paul Young, which was all stack songs. And we did, we did one cover that wasn't a Stack's, and we did, um, we did words by, um, you know, the B gees and we did mm. it like pretty much one take and, and those those things really sound great. And obviously Bob's doing that kind of thing now with, with covers, I guess, so, you know. Yeah. But um yeah, I mean he did you know, he I didn't mean, really care.
1: He didn't really because he's since become very very particular about sounds in a way that he didn't used to be you know he's producing his own records and trying to create this old-timey but it sounds like he he was totally cool pretty much with letting you do your thing he didn't really care that much is that
2: accurate yeah absolutely absolutely yeah Yeah. and that's very
0: rare for bob because because for most of his career he did not want producers to take a strong hand on his songs
2: yeah. I mean, you know, we got, we did get on. I think he, he liked me. I think we got on pretty well. So, uh, but you know, then again, he didn't really want to like spend the time anyway, you know, <laughs> I mean, he would be in no, no, but it's true. He doesn't, you know, it's like, uh, he didn't, you know, he, he really wasn't a studio head. He didn't really want to do it. And it wasn't like, it wasn't like going in with a band, which he does now, I, I guess. And that's more, you know, you're in with your band, his band's playing with him like 200 nights a year so you know you can pretty much it's it's more like a rehearsal and i think he are more like playing live it's more like the old school for him like when he did all you know blonde on blonde and they would go in for like three days and cut like 15 tracks you know and 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 that's what he likes so you know working with a producer and Listening over and over and over to something, I doubt he even does that now. I would, I would think he he's going for straight takes. I would get. I mean, I could find out it as Stu because I think Stu's playing on some of those records. So yeah, I think you're right. I you know. think
1: even 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 if the vocal cracks, he still uses the take. But um,
2: I, yeah, yeah I, was, yeah, I think he's going for full takes like the old days, literally. We have it's just that. Instead of having to bother with writing new songs, he has those covers. Which you know, I guess he doesn't need any more songs. I'm sure his publishing takes care of him very well. You know, so, <laughs> so he, doesn't, he doesn't really have to write. It. He never has to write another song, and that, that, you know, that's why I'm really happy with The, the Dark Eyes thing, and, and look, that's 32 years ago. Man. Yeah, it's like insane.
1: You know, in the last couple of minutes, you so when you got onto this record, you had just done all these really cool remixes uh, from Born the Say from. The Springsteen album I'm, I'm a big fan of A more obscure one Cover Me um, Which actually sounds yeah, like Yeah I
2: love Cover Me That's like totally un- That's totally obscure And that's a, That's actually a That's actually a cool story Because literally Cover Me was written For Donna Summer I didn't right. even know that That was That was written For Donna Summer So Like when I got the tape um, Basically There's this There's this Female You know Black female voice on it And I'm like damn, because it it didn't say the name. And then I realized it was Jocelyn Brown, who was a friend of mine, and I called her up. I said, Jocelyn, did you do a track with Bruce Springsteen? Yeah, four years ago, whatever. So literally, I I sort of brought that out in the track and much more sort of reggae. And the reason they wanted me to remix that track was it was going to be a single, and he didn't like playing it live because he never was happy with the groove of it and the vibe of it because he didn't write it for himself. He wrote it for Donna Summer. So it was pretty stiff so they wanted me to sort of funk it up or groove it up so i did the you know i used this uh this bass player named brian rock who was in this group mojo naya which was someone who was signed to streetwise my label at the time and you know we did sort of a reggae thing on it and then the delays and stuff so then when they on his vocals so then when they played it live like I went to Giant Stadium and it was the first time they played it live and they used sort of like the delays and the intro that that I did as the uh, as the intro on it when he played it live, so that was sort of cool. Yeah,
1: no, I love that. And in general, what did you learn? You also did um, a Death in the Dark remix when when he plays that live. People, there's still people in the audience who sing the whoas that I think you you overdubbed yeah. <laughs> into that song.
2: Oh, I did every, yeah. There's all the background vocals on that. I mean, if you know the original, then you listen to the version I did. You know the bells and then yeah, sort of a Phil Spector thing, which you know when we did the Phil Spector thing, it was like, obviously he was a big fan of Phil Spector. So he was like really into it. And he, he came to the studio and that was power station also. And he, and the, uh, and the AC went down, it was like in the middle of the summer. And, uh, and basically he went out and got us a case of beer and hung out with us. And, uh, and basically, you know, after that, he, he didn't, he didn't, he was like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm totally fine with what Arthur's doing. So I did cover me and then, and then born in the USA. So, and born in the USA, I used his, his engineer, Toby, Toby Scott to, uh, to engineer the mix, which, you know, he was sort of happy with also, but, uh, you did some radical, you you did some
1: radical stuff on born in the USA. There was like a freedom mix. that's really wild.
2: Yeah. 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 I just went for it, man, because by that time, it was like, you know, the album had sold like 15 million copies. I wasn't going to mess anything up. I just went for it. And, and you know, the, the yeah, I I, I, I love all three of those mixes. I, I, I'm really happy with it. I'm not, you know, sometimes I, you know, look back and I go, Oh you know, I, I just went for it. And, and it definitely, it definitely had the energy and he and he was he he liked them all so that, you know when the artist and his springsteen are, are okay with what you've done with their music it's sort of cool you know
1: so we have like one minute I and would, then out I, of yeah. that i got
2: you know then i got to work with then you know I've, through that and through dylan i got to meet steve van zandt who actually Jimmy iovine strangely introduced us and then we did the then we did the sun city record after that which both dylan and springsteen are on so yeah and am- sort of a
1: an amazing side, and, side and, and and africa bombada your, your man was also on that right
2: yeah, Miles Davis. Yeah, and, you know, Bono. And <laughs> now that's a you should do. Listen, go back and listen to Sun City album because it's it's an album. Yeah, you we should do one of these on that because literally, it's a date.
1: Is, we will. Know, that's this, a great idea. Actually, yeah. that's awesome. We could do a whole hour on the song probably. <laughs> um, so
2: yeah, li- well, the song. But then we did all these like you know Bono. Right. Bono did. Still, he wrote Silver and Gold for for the project and. He went in with Keith Richards and Ronnie Wood uh, to all, uh, to right track, and and Keith was playing like slide guitar with his switchblade. I mean, and then and then and then Robert Palmer, their critic, played clarinet on that. <laughs> you know, the New York Times music critic. So that's a great. That would be great, and I'm sure Van Zant would love to talk about that too, you know, because literally that record. You know, we have this Miles Davis track that. We we made out of Miles' trumpet part, and then then uh, Herbie Hancock and Tony Williams and, and Ron Carter and Wayne Shorter went back into the studio and did a track under his. uh His trumpet track, which it's an amazing, amazing track, actually. Awesome. It's sort of like this mystery uh, Miles Davis track that no one really knows.
1: Well, it's a date we will do that. Uh, And we've been talking to Arthur Baker about uh, the 1985 album Empire Burlesque and much more. And this has been Rolling Stone Music Now. Thanks so much for being here, Arthur. And we will be back next Friday at 1 p.m. on volume. And in the meantime, download us as a podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And have a great week. We'll see you next week.